Hi, I'm Ian Pringle, and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty. We help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we'd like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this episode, we explore the search for loyalty industries equivalent of the Holy Grail, how to measure overall program return investment. Why is it so hard, and how can it be done? To help me on this regal quest, I'm joined by two wily old crusaders who both have a lifetime experience of finding ways to measure success. So please welcome Phil Gunter. Hi, Phil. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. And uh, Stuart Mellon. How are you, Stuart? Yeah, good. Thanks, Ian. Good morning, readers. <laughs> nice to see you both. So to get us started tonight, how do you measure ROI? So what's the how, what do you think that the measure of ROI is, Phil? Do you want to get kick us off with this one? Oh, so real ROI, measure of ROI is actually quite simple. Like the, the calculation, it's true incremental gross margin divided by true incremental cost plus the external profit. Okay. Now you'd never hit listen to that. You never hear that much because what people get focused on is where they have uh, a PNL. People like an airline program. You they often get focused on the external profit and they don't look at the, the actual impact on the revenue for the group. And for for lots of other programs, they they focus on either revenue, not margin, or they focus on on um, a, a simplistic way of approaching it. But but you know the true ROI, you've got to look at all those things. At incremental margin, incremental cost, and external profit. You almost sound like an accountant, Phil. <laughs> says, <laughs> says a true accountant. And when you say incremental profit, you mean not just the revenues you're getting from external partners or anything like that. It's actually the additional spend that customers are doing and the margin, the additional margin they're bringing you from being loyal. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so that's the first part of the equation. The, the incremental gross margin is by, by tracking how much people extra demand so extra demand could be buying more, could be buying more expensive stuff, but it's the it's the extra demand, and then of that you've got to take off the marginal cost. So you get the the true incremental money that's coming in because of the program, and then look at your incremental and incremental costs. Okay, perfect. And Stuart, would you add to that? Yeah, look, I think I think Phil's right. I think the program ROI is really difficult to assess because of that. You know, it sounds very simplistic but it is really hard to do on an overall program level for the benefits of the business. I think if you look at loyalty uh, from a business case on a campaign by campaign basis or project by project, I think ROIs are really easy to calculate. And, yeah. and you, know, you can get CFOs and executive buy-in, no problems at all. But when you start talking about a whole program, a brand new program implementation, or five years after you launch and, and they come to you and say, you know, what's the ROI of this program? I think that's where the discussion gets a, a lot murkier and a lot harder to unpick and claim what contribution of that incremental spend or incremental demand in the airline space that the loyalty program is contributing at a gross margin level, as Phil talks about. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd, I'd say the same thing. So the way the way I would do it is every loyalty manager worth his salt should be able to tell you the cost of the program. So ben, re- return investment, as we all know, is benefit over cost. The cost of the program is every, every loyalty manager should be able to calculate. It's basically, you know, what, what the sales is, what the penetration of those sales is, what the reward rate is and your, your operating costs, and everyone should be able to tell you that, Okay. The benefit, though, is how many customers are you influencing? How what are you? How much are you influencing them by? And what the margin is of that stuff, that extra stuff they're buying, 
plus all the other incremental costs, all the in- incremental, incremental benefits or additional benefits, which are things like profit from sale of points and all the other things that go on top of that. And also the benefit you get from greater understanding of customers and all that other stuff. Exactly. And I think the two, the two that are difficult to measure there, of course, is how many customers are you influencing and how, many, how much are you influencing them by, which is the, the yeah. difficult one if you've had a program that exists for 25 years. <laughs> yeah, but the, there's, there's three key ways of doing it, though. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it, or categories of way, right? There's the totally proper way, and I'll go into that in a minute, because I was lucky to do, <laughs> do, do it once, right? There's the detailed way, and there's the, the sort of the easy formula way, yeah. right? which is, is generally more, more widely used. The proper way, I managed to do it once, because when I was at Virgin, I sponsored a PhD at, at, at a university to spend five years doing this. Wow. And there was a massive amount of data. We used the European supercomputer to calculate this stuff. Uh, like I say, it went on for, for years, um, and in the end, it came out, popped out the number. Right. And, 42 like uh, the life of the universe yeah. and everything <laughs> well to honest, towards the end I was getting a little bit nervous because if that number wasn't good uh, <laughs> then uh, I was going to have to have to bury the project but um, no it, but it came out positive and and, and, and amazingly it aligned to uh, a project I'd done a, a, a few years earlier about a year after the program launched where we looked at credit card data for people that before and after did twinning Calculated what we what the difference was, and then we removed reduced the uplift by a significant factor, the fudge factor, because yes. uh, to to eliminate um, self selection. So people that were more likely to fly were more likely to, to um, join the program, etc. So we eliminated that, and luckily for me, the Monash number came out and aligned that to that that previous number we we gave. So that was that was good, but because it proved because a the Monash study proved that loyalty programs do actually work when you do properly measure them, right? Yeah. So, so, so that was a, a that was I think probably world's only real study into that. Um, the the middle one where we where you do some detailed work, um, when you do something like matching, twinning, track people over time, look, track people that join the program, and all that sort of stuff, that's really useful. But it's always going to be skewed by by like I say self selection, people choosing to join the program because they're more likely to have uh, more demand with you as opposed to having more demand with you because they join a program now clearly there's both going on and you've got to measure the whole and then we and then and then assess what you think is the self-selection impact yeah the last way is a, is a simple way when you just take a an a, a percentage of gross margin and, and you apply a, um, formulas to the whole based on assumptions and that's easy to do but it's far far less robust than either the other two yeah that 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 technique is the one that what do i need to believe technique which is which i think is um which i've used and i've seen used many times where you have a number of of variables that you don't know that you get you guess at that and they say if it was that and if it was that then i believe that yeah yeah in in australia we call that the back of the fag packet calculation (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, well, let me let me go over. So, um, if we if we list all the things, I think we listed most of the ones there about why it's difficult to measure measure loyalty. So, the first is, you know, for me, the most difficult reason of why it's difficult to measure um, ROI is you need to reward all the customers, not just the ones you're being who are being influenced. And that's yeah. the problem because you've got to take account of the cost of rewarding people that aren't influenced, and you take the benefit of the people who are being influenced, and that's really hard because. 
a lot of the cost that you're spending on loyalty is wasted by spending on people that were going to do it anyway. <laughs> That's but, the biggest but, challenge. But by the same token, you know, you can apply that same metric to brand marketing. You know, yeah, brand marketers love talking about putting up billboards and TV ads and influencing all these eyeballs and whatever else. Mm. But how do they actually connect one to then the people that actually buy? They never can. Whereas loyalty is far closer to doing that than, than any other marketing proposition. It's a really good point, Stuart. Maybe we beat ourselves up too much because we live in an industry where we, we, we are part of the marketing industry which can measure almost anything and we're therefore beating ourselves up because of a couple of variables that actually the brand marketers can't measure anyway. So, you know. Exactly. Um, I, I, that's, that's where I come from. I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other the well, other thing is, is is that customers, one of the other ones is that customers rarely tell the truth. You know, you can use research to do it. But customers either don't often know the answer or, or may may not tell you the truth when you ask them. Yeah, we, we, research is again you got you got to apply a, a, a quite a big assumption, a, a fudge factor to research. The the other one I'd throw in about why it's difficult to measure, and I think you said it before, Phil, is that I've seen a lot of bad techniques applied to programs that don't work. Oh, for sure. <laughs> in yeah. the in that in that you know if you measure something and find it's not working, that's not a reason to measure it again. A different way to get the right answer. Now, when you said you did that university thing and you gave, luckily it gave you the right answer. What would you have done if it gave you the wrong answer? Because I've seen that happen many, many times, where it gives you not the wrong answer, but the right answer that just didn't give you the one you wanted. If I'm honest, I would have <laughs> do it again. I, I would have no, no, no. I would have done it again. I, I would have uh, buried the program, the the, the project, <laughs> as in I wouldn't have announced it, um, um, and then I would have looked at the program and worked out what isn't working. You know what we did exactly. I've done exactly the same thing before. We gave a university student a a, a project to do to prove that flying that that flying on um on reward flights was was green because it was ecologically sent. You know, it was the ecologically the right thing to do because we all, all in airlines justify the fact that those flights are being flown is incremental because that's what you justify to revenue management. And it came back and saying, no, you're completely wrong. Actually, those flights were were. Just were displacing paying customers, and so we thought, ah, oh, right, okay, we we did exactly what you said. <laughs> Let, let's forget that ever happened. Um, well, okay, well, yeah. so, but, but I tell you what, it's I all do, arguable. Cause... I think it's it's you know a lot of it comes down to on each individual case, you can measure something in the loyalty space. When you try yeah. to bring it all together as a whole, that's where it gets murky. So so I think individual campaigns, individual kind of products and propositions that we have, we can measure. Um, and we're very good at that. Um, whereas a lot of other you know, campaigns done in the marketing space can't do that. That's when true. we bring it to a whole, um, that's where it becomes more challenging. And that's where, you know, how much of a, a, a factor does price play with demand? And you get into the whole economics arguments around price elasticity and demand elasticity and then you get into the whole opportunity cost aspects as to whether you're displaced displacing someone or incrementally adding someone and you know we're marketers uh, we're not we're not economists so yeah. um, um, it's an interesting one so Phil, you said there's three methods. I've got I've got a number of methods too. So let me let me let me go over mine and then say whether these are double counting with yours or not. And also, sure. let's just debate them about the, the the first one is what I call the bump in the road. 
which is basically you measure the immediate impact of a lot of program because some you can see straight away about the impact of something. And I'll tell you two really good examples. One is a success, example of success, and one is an example of failure. So first of all, there was the 2001, everyone's in loyalty, has the book. We can probably both all wave it at each other about scoring points. When um, when Tesco launched, when Tesco launched with Air Miles in the UK and where it was previously with Sainsbury's and then the Air Miles moved from Sainsbury's to Tesco, both companies announced on in their um, annual report that they both saw one one saw a one percent increase in sales and one saw a one percent decrease in sales because of the impact of the loss of something. So you often you can that's a great example of where mm. a bump in the road happened after launch of a loyalty event, and you can attribute that directly to loyalty. Rarely happens because uh, loyalty tr- propositions often take time to grow, but they do happen. And another good example of failure is um, Tim Horton's proposition in 2020, where they moved to getting a free coffee after seven. We're all very aware of getting a free coffee after 10. They gave a free coffee and I think a a pastry or something to eat after seven. And that had an an impact of $150 million down in the 12 months following the launch of that. And so they stopped it and they said that was a, a, exactly attributable to the launch of the loyalty pro- this this change in the loyalty program. So both of those are examples where you see a bump in the road in true sales from what has happened. And and Phil, would you reckon, going back to your point before, incremental change, measurable yeah. incremental change? Oh, well, the, those those two are really are, are fantastic examples and very public examples. But mm. it, like you say, these bumps in the roads are very rare. They're rare. Usually, uh, a, a loyalty program is is one of many influencers on 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 the revenue, um, and so it gets 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 washed out against all the other stuff. So it's, it's really difficult to get those externally visible bumps. Yeah, that's true, one hundred percent. And and they, and they rarely repeated after the after the launch. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, I had a few of those with with some ma- major program changes. Uh, when was at Virgin? The, the um when we made we done several relaunches where we mm. changed the earn rate, where we changed put tiers in. Um, the, uh, in every one of those, when you go back after after a couple of years and look at the graphs, you you could see, you could definitely track the impact of the, of those differences. The big one being the the final relaunch in two thousand eleven, where the the graphs just took off. But um, but there was many things involved in that it wasn't just you know one one element that example is good one phil but it's hard to attribute everything purely to the loyalty program because there were other market factors at play with the competitor in the market cornice at the time so yeah it was it was a a a double fold where we launched a a great proposition and, and and program and people were attracted to that but at the same time they were disinterested in the, the current provider that they had in the market. So, yeah. you know, there's almost like a double whammy. We took advantage of a market position. And, and you know, often that's the case with a, a loyalty program is, is being able to launch something that is um, a, about a point of differentiation against your competitors. And if you can really do that and you can drive some share shift in the marketplace, that like, you know, like your first example around the supermarkets, that's a great opportunity to take up. But if it's a proposition that is going to lose your money, you should be able to forecast that. I think the Tim Horton's example, they should have forecasted that was actually going to well, cost them a lot. Uh, 
I'll, I'll I'll send a link or I'll put I might put a link on this. The director before that measured a lot before launch, and they were very very confident it was going to be a success. So, and it wasn't. <laughs> so so there you go. Um, the next the next method is statistical. So um, and I'm sure we've both seen this before, where you use deciles. You use you you take your customer base and you split your customer base into like spend groups. So you say you take your top top decile being your most your, your customers who consistently come in and spend the most down to the bottom decile, which is customers that come in least frequently and spend the least. And you put them into these deciles and then you look at their behavior before and after an event like a loyalty program launch. So then you can check year on year what your return on investment is from the loyalty program because you can basically put those customer groups into ones that are spend ones that have stopped spending, ones that are spending more, ones that are spending less, and ones that are spending about the same. And it's a statistical method of comparing your customer base behavior before and after by month, by year, by whatever you want to do. And and if people want to call me, I can talk you through how, how these things happen. But it is a statistical way of comparing before and after. I've seen it done a lot, Ian. And, and yeah. deciles are good when they're done by people that understand the statistics and <laughs> understand correlation and relativity. And you, know, you get into the fact that deciles are not linear, whereas as no. marketers, we think everything's linear. Um, you start to get into the discussions about J curves and S curves, and, and this is where you come back to all those pieces around, you know, inner, inelasticity uh, versus elasticity and opportunity costs. And um, you know, it's a it's a really good way to do it, but it also has its own faults as well if you're not statistically or economically trained to be able to assess it and understand the behaviours and the outputs. So, yeah, um, you've, you've also got to be very careful to take out outliers and to make sure that your outliers are taken out from one year to another. Because it's, say, for example, fraud, right? If, if one year your fraud department aren't, aren't on the case and the next year you've taken out, you, you've managed to have a very good fraud, um, you know, you've you, you got to be really careful in making sure that you're not, you're comparing the whole base and not just outliers to outliers. Um, yeah. it, so it, it, I agree with you, but it is a measure and it's a measure that can give you a number and it can yeah it, it's useful the best thing i've seen done in in that space uh is less around using deciles but looking at repeat purchases and looking at what's called sankey graphs so sankey sankey graphs are about people that purchase once and then go on to do nothing people that purchase the first time do they go on to purchase a second or, or is there another segment that go on to purchase not just that first time, but they put purchase three more times after that, and you start to break them out into the, the deciles move into like a Sankey kind of graph movement, and it's a really interesting assessment on repeat purchase, which is largely what we put loyalty programs in place to do. The main objective and purpose of loyalty programs is often to drive repeat purchase at the main retailer airline hotel, whatever it is. Hmm. That's a good point though, because when you're trying to measure the uh, ROI, one of the key things to do is look at the program and look at what was the program trying to do. 
because mm. you're right to generally you're, you're right but but some programs they're, they're actually designed to get one more purchase out of people some programs are, are designed to to attract the people just at the top end the, the super frequent and are not worried about the infrequent and working out what the program is designed to do and often breaking breaking the, the customer base down into different groups and then assessing that each different group into different like differently so the 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 people that were to your to, to you know the the top decile previously looking at those and, and accepting the fact that they're, they're getting their rewards without getting getting any more out of them um is is one thing but looking at the long tail and and saying was the program able to get one more transaction out of those then that that's where you often you get a great big uplift yeah it's a really um, good I've, point yeah yeah, yeah. I've, I've done this with um some quite quite granular models with things like like quick service restaurants where you look at people that buy every friday right and you know they're not going to buy every friday and saturday right it would be it'd be it'd be morally wrong to try um and <laughs> and, and, and and but 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 you know giving them the points because there's an expectation those customers will if you launch a program those customers will expect something because they're loyal um and then looking at the middle group look at the middle group and also looking at the difference between earning when the, the earning transaction versus the redemption transaction, because a redemption transaction is far more likely to trigger an additional transaction than earning. Yeah. And, and yeah. Build, literally building up a model where, where you've got all these different groups looking at different activities, earning activities, earning activities, um, and then and then looking at the, the, the in, in a quick service restaurant, the, the cost of food, all this stuff is it's very quite granular. Um, it's a it's a then, really good point because because measuring collection behavior is is again a, a a look it's almost looking at a similar bump in the road measuring performance after redemption behavior could be argued as a really clear way of measuring the impact of the program. Yeah, and 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 also that lever, that redemption lever, if it's well communicated, is a real big driver of activity, mm. and mm. you can often get enough uplift just from that to to generate enough uh, incremental value to, to make a positive ROI the greatest one sorry I was gonna say the greatest one I've seen is in Australia is the department store Maya with their Maya one program they have a forced gift card redemption so once you earn a thousand points you get a $20 gift card in the mail and what they say is uh, basically when that gift card is used it drives a 3.6 times face value retail transaction so so you know, someone gets to their thousand points, they get a twenty dollar gift card in the mail, and then they go and spend basically, you know, somewhere around seventy to eighty bucks using the gift card for the twenty, and and the rest is all incremental um, sales from that perspective. But it's it, a great example. It drives that extra sale, and that comes back to that thing I was talking about: how many customers are you influencing? What are you influencing them by? And what's the margin you earn on that behaviour? which could yeah. be easily measured in that case. Okay, the next one I'd like, the next technique I'd like to talk about is is research, obviously, where you can go and ask customers, do you visit more and do you spend more? <laughs> and I, I talk this, I, I think this is the kind of what do you want to believe one because it, it is, what the answer to that question does vary from segment to segment and decile to decile and it helps you understand the drivers behind some of the other ways, the other techniques. Now, I've seen it used a lot in coalition programs where they're using a coalition program to justify. So well, a coalition program will agree with all the partners at the outset, right, the, if we hit these targets, will do you believe that this has got an incremental benefit? 
and because all these other techniques are 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 either believable of or 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 not is at least research gives you the best chance of of, of getting something that, that do you believe it or not right and um it's it's a good it's it, it it's also very easy to do and you can do it three or four times a year and you repeat it yeah research has its place it, def- it so it definitely has its place uh, i would argue that it always gives you a skewed uh, yeah. answer um but sometimes i'll be honest with you there, there's sometimes you you can take advantage of those skews so uh, especially like, if, if you want to if you want to present a, a positive light you know though, all the all the all the indications are that it's working so you know it's kind of working but you need something to prove it you can use research which is going to come out positive and give you that that rubber stamp even though it isn't a true reflection of the incremental change yeah. I agree. The other thing that it does give you is what I call the nuclear button, which is that if you're if you're a loyalty manager, you always need to know that the, the, the best. I, I had a manager once who said the best possible measure of the successful loyalty program is what you do in it when you take it away, because then you really know. But then you're screwed if you get it wrong. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> right. So I always used to have research. Well, the last question research is, is saying, what would you do if I took the program away? Would you buy the same, buy less, or or, or leave me and go for my competitors? Because you do need to know the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, and that's the thing about the research questions. I always, you know, um, you get the answers often that you ask for uh, and that you yeah. perceive as the answers you're going to get to start with. So it comes down to all those qualitative and quantitative factors. But I, I think research feels right. Research plays a really important part in understanding your customers and also giving you enough of a customer-focused outcome besides just some pure numbers from your finance team or, or you know someone, someone in your marketing team who can do some numbers. So you know, it, it's a good balancer and... Um, and can be used together uh, or used separately uh, as ammunition to uh, to try to drive you know forward the agenda that, that you're trying to meet. And what I think it's most useful for is is because you can measure it consistently and over and over again. It's a good it's a good way of understanding the other measures that you come out statistically because because often if you do things statistically you get an answer that you don't understand. It comes out and you go, God, why does that happen? And Phil, we've seen this before working on projects where someone redeems and they collect less. And I've seen it a lot, right? And and you then need to understand why is that happening, right? Um, and, and research yeah. But I think that's an obvious one. That. That's, that's because yeah. it, it, you didn't meet their expectation. Yeah. Missing expectation is drives yeah. more downward pressure than, than, than exceeding someone's expectation. Yeah. And yeah. that's why the design of these programs is so important. It, talking about before, those people that are buying frequently all the time, they, they, there's a certain expectation. If you miss it, then you're going to lose revenue. So, so understand that, and that's where research does come in. Understanding what different segments expect from you, meeting that, uh, setting a good baseline, and and then using the power of the of the design and management and comes of the program to drive actively drive change. Then that is where these programs. That's where every program should be aiming to do. Right, we're talking now about the the on a program, but every program manager should be looking at the program making sure the design is right and then driving the, 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 the communications and the segmentation to, to, to actively drive activity. And that's where they work. And I think a lot of that, as a good program manager, it comes back to looking at and knowing your KPIs month in, month out, monitoring yeah. all those KPIs, survey results, you know, earn to burn ratios, number of people redeeming. But I'll give you the tip. 
the biggest factor you can look at as a program manager to know as to whether your program is working or not is your expiry rate, yeah, your breakage rate. If your breakage rate is going up or it's higher than you think what your competitors are, then you've got a problem in your program and you've got some disengagement. You're not, you know, the high expiry rate means people aren't engaging with you on an ongoing basis. They might come and do something with you once, but they're not doing it on, on an ongoing after that. And so you're not really rewarding them for the behaviors and trapping them and getting them engaged and involved with the business. So, so that's, no, that's, that's, point. that's my one tip. So the two I'd, I'd, I'd quickly add to this is, first of all, um, Carter's customer. I've seen this. This is something that I think is coming into the market more where you use um, token as a so card token as a way of measuring the customers that aren't in the program and then comparing that against performance of customers in the program and it's a it's a it's a technique i'm getting increasingly excited about it it's just that you have to be very careful on gdpr how you how, how you structure it um, but i'm getting excited about that as a method of comparing one group with another and you just have to be careful phil as you said about comparing like to like and that changes from one retailer to another but i think it's something that i'm getting increasingly excited about that that and will it, always give you a positive number, and it's yeah. a case of whether you whether you do deflate it for for that self selection. Yeah. But it will always right. give you a positive number. And then the, the the final one I'd say is is that um, I've used it before to my detriment. Okay, is is churn differential. So churn differential, where you say where you say I've got these customers, one cust- bunch of customers in my program, bunch of customers aren't in my program. What's the churn differential between them? As in, how many customers are leaving? This was a utility company. How many customers are staying with the utility company who are in the program and how is leaving the, leaving the utility company who aren't in the program? And when we launched the program, amazing. 99% of customers for the first few months were staying in the program and everyone, everyone was happy. We shouted about this KPI, fantastic. As the months went by, the churn differential went down and down and down and down and down until it started to get negative and then it starts to get very negative, which means that if you believe the KPI, customers that are in your loyalty program are actually leaving faster than customers that aren't in the loyalty program. How does that work? And this is because, and, and we took this one, first of all, it was a, it was a sign of a bad program, first of all, right? It, the program was not working, let's be clear about that. The second thing was, but, but then do you really believe that giving someone a reward made them leave faster? No, I don't believe that. Um, so actually, it was actually a way of identifying customers that were promotionally act, more promotionally active than the than the inert base that weren't in the program, and so obviously your your competitors are stealing customers that are promotionally active rather than the inert ones that aren't going to respond to anything. Now, that's very well, but just you know you can't be- take a clear number and track something over time and, and not understand that it could actually end up <laughs> in bad. In, in a wrong thing if you don't understand all of the things and that goes back to the research and all the things we just talked about so I, I think I think that's where we come back to the point around the purpose and objective of the loyalty program because you know sometimes we expect loyalty programs to be all singing and all dancing for all customers they aren't they focus on certain customer segments and you know it's about Driving acquisition, if that's something you want to achieve, you know, getting people to, to join your business and, and really incentivize them to do, do that. Incentivizing to spend again incrementally throughout their, their lifetime with the program. And then the last one is a way to retain them. So how do you keep them sticky to your business and don't let them go to your competitor? So 
yeah, I think I think you can design programs for each of those individual aspects, or you can try and design it for all three of them. But you really got to understand what you're designing your program to do, and then as you go and launch new campaigns and propositions, you got to come back to those objectives again and go, does it really understand? Does it really meet what I'm trying to do with this program? Does it align or not? No, perfect. So, um, so just quickly to, to end, can we just give two pieces of advice to to managers? We've all been in that position. So, what would your two pieces of advice on measurement be? Um, Phil, do you want to go first on that one? So, uh, my advice is make sure your pro. You, first of all, make sure your program is well designed and, and you're managing it well. Because if you are, well, if you've got a good program and you're managing it well, there will be stacks of positive data which you can prove the return on investment. So that's that's the number one, and and the second one is maybe a little bit naughty, but control the narrative. There, 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 that there, there will be a stack of positive information, um, but it'd be quite easy to to uh, lose control of the narrative, and 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 all of a sudden you're defending yourself when you've actually got a really good program. And I guess the third one, if you got if you got a bad program, change it. Yeah, I, 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 that was one of mine. Be honest. If if you if you do if you measure something and it's bad. There's good reason for that, right? Change it. Um, what about you, Stuart? Yeah, look, um, uh, I'll, I'll take the usual accountant's tact. Um, you know, look at your ah. KPIs every month, track those. Uh, that's where you'll find all of the, the positive stuff that'll back up Phil. And, uh, and, and know your benchmarking of those KPIs against your competitors and against you know, similar sort of market spaces. If, if you don't, come and ask us. We can help you with that. And then the other one is really get uh, a good partnership going with your finance team around the numbers that support those KPIs, both financial KPIs and operational business KPIs, so that, to Phil's last point, you can control that narrative. You can get their support on what's good and what's not so good and where we can help reshape this a little bit. Um, because that will help drive better outcomes uh, for you as you go and get decisions and, and you know, ask for capital investments or, or other budgets to be reinvested back into the program. So, um, so get them on site. No, it's a great point. And it's, it's typical accountant to say, stay close to the accountants, but that's <laughs> sage, always sage advice. So that's all we've got time for today. So first, let me thank my panellists for today. So thank you very much, Phil. Thank you for your time. You're welcome, Ian. And thank you very much, Stuart Mellon. Thank you for your time too. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Thanks, listeners. And if you like this podcast, please like, share, or comment on LinkedIn using the hashtag TheLoyaltyPodcast. We look forward to your company again soon. Thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>